Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Real Live Talk. I'm your host, Duke Lamastra, and I've got an episode for you this week. Uh, my good friend Amy Davison is back on the podcast for like the fifth time, at least the fourth time, maybe the fifth time. Uh, Amy is a writer and podcast host with Mama Bear Apologetics. She's a mother of three, soon to be four, and a veteran of the United States Air Force. She's co-author of the best-selling book, Mama Bear Apologetics Guide to Sexuality, and just an action-packed conversation here, diving into uh, just a lot of the stuff that's going on in society and culture today, particularly the things that affect our children, whether we're talking about the school system or TV or just the ideology that they're surrounded with, woke ideology, uh, the assault really on gender and on identity that's happening in the world around us today. And we talk about things that we can do as parents and as those that are raising children or have part in raising children to help them to really be prepared to have a strong worldview for themselves and to know how to really just stand up for truth and what is right. And we also talk about the other side of it and how necessary it is as the people of God to really have compassion for those that are hurting, for those that are broken, for those that might be stuck or struggling with something, and to not perpetuate this thing that's going on in culture today of this us and them creating all this division, and if you're not with us, you're against us, and all of that. And even when that's happening in the world by other people, that we as the body of Christ shouldn't be uh, doing that. We shouldn't be perpetuating that, and we should be inviting people to know Jesus. That's the bottom line. Whether they have different ideologies, different belief systems, different value systems than you do or than I do, or whatever the case may be, but really opening our arms and finding out how we can, yes, stand up for truth, but do it in such a loving way that people see Jesus in the process. Talk about that, among other things, in this episode, and I really, really think you're going to get a ton, a ton of value out of it. Amy is one of the smartest people I know, one of the wisest people when it comes to these kinds of subjects, the area of identity, sexuality, any kind of apologetic-type talk, and she's awesome at helping to equip children and young people, teenagers, adolescents, and, again, their parents to really combat uh, these kind of opposing ideologies and worldviews head on and uh, really to stand for what's right um, in the midst of stuff. <laughs> All right, guys, <laughs> I really just kind of crashed that intro plane right into the ground at the end there, but you get the point. It's going to be an awesome conversation. Thanks so much for being here. Appreciate you guys so very much. If the content blesses you, challenges you, inspires you, makes you think, if you get anything out of it in any way, if you would consider doing me a kindness and uh, subscribing, sharing, leaving a comment or a review on one of the podcast platforms or on the Facebook page, that would be absolutely amazing. Once again, thank you all for joining me. And uh, now let's go ahead and dive into this conversation with the one and only Amy Davis. <laughs> I was going to like announce it to the world. I feel like we should be able to figure out a way to ask that question without it coming across rude. Like to ask the, are you pregnant question to a woman? Do you think we yeah. can figure this out today? Oh on, man, on podcast, uh, we Amy? could, but you know, honestly, our first few attempts are going to be, are going to be super <laughs> insulting. So <laughs> it's like, so your belly, like you look like you've got an orbit thing going on. Like I feel like you're smart enough though. I feel oh, like you're smart man. enough to figure this out. 
You know, and honestly, there there's cues. Like I think as a pregnant woman, you kind of have a little bit of a moral obligation to ease the tension within the room to where you, you know, you, you have a mom move to where you put your hand on the belly, right? Like that doesn't, people mm -hmm. don't normally grab their bellies or draw attention to their bellies. So when you're expecting and you're at that stage between, you know, 16 to 19 weeks where you look, you can't quite tell if they're actually pregnant or if they've, you know, I, I love those little pies from Walmart that are like 50 cents. Like they've had too many of those. You can't quite tell. So you got to put the hand on the belly and just kind of like, you know, that's the international signal that yes, I in fact do have a baby. And so, yeah, I think, I think as, as pregnant women, we almost need to initiate that too, because everybody wonders, they're like, okay, there's something going on there. You look a little mm -hmm. thicker than the last time I saw you. And so, yeah. I, I think that's something that you you gotta you gotta initiate just to help everybody out. And then my kids, um, I, you know, they were they were like, "Mom, you gotta mess with people. You gotta just look them dead in the face and be like, no, I'm not pregnant. Why are you asking? How dare and, you? How dare you? How like, dare oh, you, sir? Greta Thornburg, how dare you? But uh, yeah, <laughs> the no audacity. Oh my goodness, I'm so offended. And yeah, no, carry on. So no, definitely. It's, it, I think it's, I am yeah. pregnant, but I identify as a non-pregnant, as a non-pregnant person. I'm just eating an excessive yeah. amount of you? ice cream and waddling across this floor for the sheer fun <laughs> of it. You, you know, that I'm, that I'm 39 weeks pregnant right now. Yeah, I know. Right. I have this baby, but yeah. Oh, it's fun stuff. Yeah. So yeah, it's a terrifying <laughs> question. Like, so what if you came at it from the other way? And you'd have to lie a little bit, but like, what if you came at it from like, you're, you're, you're thinking somebody might be pregnant. You don't want to just mm -hmm. ask, like, what if you said, Hey, I heard that you were expecting, but you know, you don't look at all. You don't look pregnant at all. Are you, you know what I, Like, what if you kind of came at it from the other way? Do you think that could, there's See, a way that's to clever to phrase like it? I, th I really like the whole, you don't look pregnant at all. Cause that is what every pregnant woman wants to hear is like, oh my gosh, you're pregnant. Mm -hmm. I couldn't even tell. Like that is the most flattering thing. But I mean, even as, a, as a woman, I think I'm, I'm a bit too much of a coward. I would like pull the husband aside and be like, are you guys expecting? I heard a rumor and you know, that way, cause <laughs> That's good you, you never know. So there's always like the husband that you can usually chase down, but no, I love the whole, oh, you can't even tell. So um, as long as there's it, no follow-up questions, like who'd you hear that from? Or, oh, you know, yeah. Kind of get, get in trouble. Yeah. I guess, You're like but. people, you know, cause they talk. <laughs> yeah. People no. Talk. And it's, it's fun depending on how people carry too, because my, my husband, he jokes, he, he calls it, um, my funhouse mirror body, because it's like, if you, if you walk up behind me, I, it, it looks normal, but then flip around and it's like, Whoa, belly. And so, uh, so yeah, it's fun when you can kind of prank people and you haven't seen them in a while. Like there's a, uh, there's some folks that I'm going to be meeting. I'm speaking at a youth camp here uh, next week and they have, they have no idea. So it's going to be like walking out the car and like, Hey, guess what I've been doing in the wake of, you know, it's <laughs> not seeing each other since December. So <sighs> that's so good. Well, uh, Amy, welcome back to the podcast. It's so good to have you here again. It's been a little while since we've done one of these, and I was like, man, we've got to get Amy back on. So thanks so much. It's always just uh, – I always have so much fun talking to you, and it's it's fun. It's just fun talking to you, um, but also your expertise in a lot of areas. We've had some really amazing conversations, and I just appreciate just all that you – bring to the table, like in terms of, you know, when we talk about issues and things that are going on that are, you know, in our culture, in our society, 
that are so important issues, I think, for us to dive into. I mean, sometimes we're talking about, you know, fanny packs and flag day, but sometimes we're talking about real stuff too, right? So it's oh like, yeah. We, but, we but try the to way that sprinkle you... that in. <laughs> yeah. Uh so oh, and you were just telling me uh, before we started, you were just telling me how we missed flag day. So which if you if you just that? start out on this podcast, you you have to go back what like two episodes ago. We had like a whole thing of meeting on flag day and we missed it, but you know, life events. So next year though, folks, we have committed. We're going to meet on flag day. We're gonna have flags all around. It's it's gonna be impressive. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that we missed it. We missed it. Yeah. I wonder if there's anything, uh I wonder if there's any kind of let me just Google this real quick. We kind of had a thing holiday, with obscure holidays holiday today, like Arbor Day. Well, this there's there's be... something for every day. United Nations Public Service Day. That doesn't sound fun at all. Yeah. Um, National Peaches and Cream Day. I can get on board with that, <laughs> but that could just be the hormones that are like, yes, peaches and <laughs> anything that gives an excuse for like pie and ice cream. Like I am there. So no shame. Yeah, I can't use that excuse personally, but um, but congratulations, Amy, for being with child. It's like <laughs> incredible. So, how long? Um, how old is your youngest child? Right. Yeah. Now? So we've got a big age gap. So we've got yeah. uh, my youngest is eleven, and by the time little sister gets <gasps> here, he'll be twelve. Uh, or no, Whoa. actually, she'll get right before twelve. So yeah, we've got fifteen, thirteen, and eleven, and then we've got this one. And so, uh, so yeah, it was a it was a total god thing because we had always talked about having uh, around four kids, and mm -hmm. after the third. After the third boy, my husband was like, oh, my gosh, how are we going to feed these tiny humans? And it was kind of an impulsive, OK, we're, we're not going to have any more children. And then just over the years, God worked on his heart and he came home one day and he was like, OK, I really need to talk to you. And I'm like, are you fired? Um, that was the only thought I had. And he was like, no, no, I, I really feel like, you know, we should have another baby. I'm like, really? Wow. And, uh, and so, yeah, it was a, it was a whole, it was a whole process. Right. Um, and so without getting into too many details, uh, he'd gone through a procedure that the military had done and they completely botched it. And so, um, he had been in pain for that 10, 11 years, just every day. And, uh, mm. and the only thing that we were told to, that would fix it is reversal. And so we found an amazing doctor in New Braunfels and he sees it as his ministry. And so he went in and, uh, after about four weeks or so, he just woke up one day and there was no more pain and it was amazing. And then around late January, I was like, man, I'm feeling weird. You know what, what in the, yeah, I thought I had eaten something and, uh, nope. Um, turns out it's a, it's a little one. And so, yeah, we, we found out uh, not too long after that, that it was a little girl. So that's, it's so exciting. It's like a roller coaster, right? When you, when you have boys for so long, and especially now that we're in teen boys, uh, it's a whole new level of crazy, but it's kind of the same formula. As long as they have, you know, food and, and Nerf guns or, you know, a PlayStation, they're happy. And so now we're like, oh my gosh, we're, we have to venture into, to raising a little girl and uh i don't know how to really do the girl thing so it's it's an exciting adventure that uh yeah. I, I gotta watch some youtube videos on on like doing girl <laughs> hair and stuff so yeah no that's incredible congratulations and and, and yeah i mean it is it is very different because so we have two boys and they're 12 and 8 and then we have a one-year-old girl so we had a pretty big gap there 
in the middle um, as well. Not well, not in the middle, but we had a pretty big gap there yeah. between the the second and third child, and it felt very different this time around because I mean, for for my wife, I mean, she's you know eight years older than she was the last time she had a child, oh, yeah. and well, seven I guess at the time during the actual pregnancy. <clears throat> like all those dynamics were like very different for her. It's a very mm -hmm. just different kind of pregnancy in terms of the way that it felt and all of that, like throughout that whole process. But then um, also just being a dad of a daughter is it just different. Like there's it's something so about different. it that's just yeah. so different than than the boys. And both are amazing and spectacular and all of that, but just different, just very yeah. different. The way it feels is different. The there's like this in me, like there's like this protective thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. that I have with my boys, but it's like a totally different level with mm -hmm. with my little girl. And yeah, it's just it's just very, very cool. So I'm I'm just I'm pumped for you guys that you have that uh, opportunity now to to dive into the daughter zone. That's really, really oh, cool, man. And it it's so adorable and so expensive. I'm like, girl stuff. <laughs> it, it's so different than the than the boys, but it's so much cuter. But I, it's funny you it's mentioned cute. that. And even, you know, she isn't even quite here yet. But there is a complete shift when you find out that you're having a girl because now you see the world differently and you recognize mm -hmm. how the world targets girls differently than boys and just the different dynamics, the different things that are aimed toward boys and girls. You become more sensitive to that and you start seeing it and you're like, oh my gosh, you know, this is a conversation wow. I'm going to have, or this is something we're going to encounter, or, you know, we're, my husband and I will be talking and we're like, okay, you know, this is something that we're going to have to address in a few years. And, and, uh, it, it is, it's, there is a different level, I think, as a parent of preparation, uh, of how you, uh, instruct and disciple your boys versus girls, because the world approaches mm -hmm. each kid differently. And so you yeah. have to have that Semper Gumby approach um, because if if you don't, you you might miss something or uh, you might just have a, a lack of awareness, which can sometimes be more dangerous. Um, and mm -hmm. so especially as Christian parents in the way our culture is now is we we have to be seeing how the world is reaching our kids, especially boys and girls, and sort of have this preemptive mode of, okay, this is a conversation. This is a topic. This yeah. is something that she's going to be challenged with, or he's going to be challenged with and start prepping ahead of time. So that way, when that mm -hmm. time comes and it always comes faster than when what you expect it, you, you're ready. Yeah. And it's, and it's crazy how it is getting younger and younger, the way that the world is kind of targeting these things around children like you know in the public school system and in and different places on you know tv tv shows kids shows kids movies like all these different areas in society that are it's like a tar targeted approach to like get children younger and younger aware of sexuality and aware mm -hmm. of like different things so it's like the point where you have to really as a parent or somebody who's you know raising kids you really have to start from a from a young age um probably younger than you would like to i would think as a parent yeah. um even like to start talking about certain kinds of issues and making them aware what what are you guys think because i mean i know this is this is your area and you guys um <clears throat> you know you and um mama bear apologetics um this is a big area for for you all um in terms of uh instructing parents about 
uh, how to walk with your with your kids, with your children, and with your teenagers and your adolescents through these these processes of of uh, you know developing a strong worldview so that they can stand and know who they are and know their identity and understand you know what the Bible says and all these different kind of things, right? About you know for how to approach these issues that they are going to be faced with. But now I'm just curious, like kind of you and your husband being in this place where you're expecting another child now, what is kind of your your game plan just in terms of like like what what age do you do you do you start or what what age do you suggest to parents that they really need to kind of start um, having conversations with their kids about these kinds of issues? I mean, honestly, straight from the beginning. I mean, and luckily the the early years, right? I'm talking from, you know, the the two to five range. Um, you know, when you yeah. start having those amazing board books of, you know, Moses and Esther and everything, um, those are those are fantastic. But it's we're laying the foundation from the from the early ages, the theological foundations of, you know, what is truth, who is God, um, who is Jesus, what did he do on the cross? Who are you as an individual? That's probably the topic that has changed the most over the past five years is before mm -hmm. we didn't have to focus in on identity as much as who you are as male and female. But now because our culture has shifted to a predominantly LGBTQ affirming culture and a uh, one that goes along with gender theory, we have to now start at those young ages to talk about gender identity because depending on your area, your school district, where you live, they're teaching that now to kindergartners. In fact, just recently there, I saw that there was a, a daycare center that you can enroll your, I mean, your, your baby in, and it's a gender affirming daycare center to where they're doing pride projects and, and that sort of thing to where it's, it's hyper-focused on LGBTQ ideology mm. from the very beginning. So, okay. you know, when we think of parenting, uh, as, as we're called in scripture, you know, we're supposed to train up the next generation, um, so that they can wield the armor of God effectively. And as any parent knows, you know, when you, when you give your kid that first BB gun or their first pocket knife, it's not something you just kind of toss at them and be like, hey, buddy, you know, go nuts. It's no, we, we sit down and okay, here's what each piece means. Here's uh, here's how you use this tool. Here's how you don't use it. Here's how you carry it. Um, safety, you know, it is, it is diligent training. And so we do that. We encourage that from a parenting perspective with regards to theology, philosophy, uh, the concept of identity. And so we want to start having these conversations from a young age. And one thing that is so encouraging is while it can feel intimidating that culture is aggressively reaching our kids, which I love how Pastor Josh Howerton puts it. He goes, you know, every religion eventually starts a children's ministry. So of course, LGBTQ ideology, mm -hmm. the reason they've shifted their focus on children is because again, this is just part of the format. This is what a religion does, which it is very much ideological. It's, it is a religious setting. Um, and then when we think of from a cultural perspective, when you look at ancient history, whenever a, another culture or country was invading another, uh, what they would do is typically uh, either wipe out the adults, especially the males, and assimilate the females, or they would wipe out the adults completely and assimilate the children because they know mm. that they can indoctrinate the children easier. And we've seen this trumpeted by, you know, heads of the uh, childhood ed education and intervention department who are saying, oh, this is great because parents aren't having these conversations with their kids. So that means these kids haven't formed 
their worldview. They don't even know what a worldview is. So now we can come in and lay that silent groundwork and we can make it look attractive and colorful and friendly and then wrap it up in this nice ally bow that makes them feel mm. like the children themselves are the heroes of these underdogs or these oppressed, which what kid doesn't want to be a superhero? And now here's a real life opportunity that you can do that for somebody else. And so that's kind of the goal. That's why we as parents, we're laying that foundation, but we also kind of need to be sensitive to where culture is going so that we can make use of opportunities when culture's reaching our kids to now point to Christ in the process. Because, you know, we've talked about this before, bubbles don't work. Um, you know, Christian mm. private schools, you are going to have some of the most secular conversations you've ever heard in your life happening yeah. at Christian private schools as well as homeschool co-ops. So no, no form of education is impenetrable by the world. So that's why we're as we as parents, we're challenged to disciple our children. It's a lifelong 18 yeah. years until they're out the house, intentional discipleship. So that way they know how to wield the armor of God effectively. That's so good. I'm I'm curious, Amy, like what do you think about how to how to handle like do we do you think it's better to like pull our kids out of these situations where it's tough. I mean, you just said bubbles don't work, but yeah. So, so here's the thing I was, um, I heard Jordan Peterson say recently, mm. um, I don't know if he said it recently or if I just heard it recently, <laughs> but, but, I, but recently I heard Jordan Peterson say that, um, you know, he, he was asked the question, you know, what, what do you think about universities? Mm. And, and so this is a, this is a man who used to teach at a little school called Harvard. Right? <laughs> just a small one you know you may have heard <laughs> yeah, of it it's just, like a community know, college up north inconsequential school you know yeah. Har harvard whatever you know so he's he's got he, he's an educator at heart yeah um he's got education in his dna he loves education and i watched him say this and it hurt him to say it mm. he was asked the question about you know like so what do we do about universities like is it even worth it these days to go to universities and he said he said, no, he said, send your kids to a trade school. Yeah. And he said, like, this is this was like it hurt him to say that mm -hmm. because he doesn't that's not who he is. But because of what they're doing in so many of these secular universities today, the way that they are just like purposely trying to indoctrinate kids. Yeah. That it's like you don't even want to send them there because you're putting them at risk. Yeah. And I, I and I I see the I see the merit in that. But I also wonder you know, and I think it's probably a case by case basis, but, but, I, you know, if we want to talk about university, we want to talk about, you know, high school, middle school, elementary school, you know, sending kids to Christian school, homeschooling kids, whatever. I don't think personally, there's a blanket uh, solution for just everybody. Right. But I'm just curious, like, wh where do you think that line is between, you know, we, we want to, uh, we don't want to shelter. We don't want to put them in a bubble. We want to prepare them. We want to help them have, you know, strong beliefs, strong worldviews so that they can, you know, stand against any competing, you know, worldview or ideology that's coming their way. Uh, the line between that and just like, this is just too much. Like this is getting too dangerous. It's getting too predatory and too toxic that we yeah. just, it's better to just pull them out. Just curious, like wh what you think about that and how as, you know, parents and people that are raising children, can we kind of process through some of those 
those issues, you know? Yeah. And Duke, I think you, you made a really excellent point is there's no one size fits all solution. And I think when we try to do the one size fits all solution, it's just like if you had one pair of shoes and you're trying to get eight different people to fit into them, you know, it's, it's going to work for some and others it's not. And so everybody's got a different life, uh, whatever is going on in their life, job situation, family situation, and each child is different as well. Now there are, and my husband and I, you know, we, we have this conversation regularly. We just had to, uh, we just had it recently because we're like, okay, we're starting a new little one. Um, how do we, how are we going to approach the school system? Uh, because mm-hmm. things are shifting and, you know, you and I are in Texas. However, it's not outside of Texas. It's very much in it. I mean, Richardson school systems, uh, Dallas, uh, of course, Austin, you know, it's, it's all there. So, um, so it, it really depends on how, uh, how aggressive. So, you know, if, if it was one of those things to where, like if we had lived probably, and we've talked about this, we're like, you know, if we, if we could not move out of San Francisco, we definitely wouldn't have our kids in public school there because of just how aggressive it is and how young children are. Um, the immense social pressure within an elementary school mm-hmm. p- classroom that can exist, uh, depending on the dynamic, um, can make it challenging, especially for children who are typically more empathetic. So uh, there was a, a grandmother that had reached out to me. We were doing a Q&A session. And she goes, "My, they were in Pennsylvania. Her her son was in Pennsylvania. And they had the eight-year-old daughter in, in public school. And mm-hmm. all of a sudden, the eight-year-old daughter comes home and says she identifies as a boy. And the parents were like, whoa, wait a second. They, they went to the administration. They said, we, we are not affirming changing pronouns. We are not doing this. And in fact, what, what is actually going on? And what they mm-hmm. found out is it was a combination of the classroom environment and the personality of the child. So the child was an only child. So she was used to being the center of attention. And what she realized is when she went to public school, she was now one of 30 in her classroom. So mm-hmm. no longer the center of attention. Um, so she was feeling left out, um, not having that emotional validation that she was used to, that she was desiring. But what she did pick up on is that anytime a child would come into the classroom and identify as a different gender, the teacher would throw a party for that child. Oh. And she wanted a party. And so uh, the grandmother had asked, okay, what what should we do? Because the school system has a policy. They're not going to deny a child. And uh, she goes, should we leave the child in the situation or pull the child out. And that's probably one of the one case that I've actually said, you know what, you probably need to pull that child out sure. because emotionally, developmentally, she's not capable of standing firm in that environment. She is seeking yeah. that external validation and it's going to be cultivated eight hours every day, five days a week within that classroom. Wow. So developmentally, no, she needs to be pulled out homeschooled or put in a private school. But as parents, that's where we also need to come in and make sure that we're doing our due diligence to be talking about these issues. And hey, you know, your likes, styles, preferences, and hobbies do not determine who you are. And, Mm. you know, supplement or not supplement, but be the primary in that factor. And so it depends on the personality. So other kids, if you've got kids who are more of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, like they're the Daniel, maybe they have kind of a personality 
personality that's more like a Peter Paul situation to where you're more or less working on tact with them than standing firm in biblical truth. Like they're firmly rooted. You're just trying to help them uh, learn how to wield their armor effectively so they don't chop so many heads off. Um, mm. That child is going to do better in an environment that is having this ideology put forth to them. Right. Because especially right. if they've been taught critical thinking skills, now they can ask questions and engage in this and not be shot down or as easily intimidated by supervision, teachers, classmates. I mean, uh, there was just an article that I read yesterday about the UK. It was two, it was two eighth grade students that were being very publicly harassed by their teacher because they had said that if somebody is coming into class identifying as a cat, then mentally there, there might not be something that's, that's quite right there. I mean, uh -huh. they, they weren't even, I mean, it's, they're from the UK, right? They're super polite about it. Um, and uh, this teacher actually shut them down and said, how dare you, you know, like was so aggressive um, about, about shaming them for even even suggesting yeah. that somebody could not identify as a cat. And I mean, this is just beyond the illogical. This is, yeah. I mean, we are definitely drifting into mental disorder. Um, sure. But yet these kids were, were, they didn't budge. They go, no, I'm sorry. We, we can have this opinion. If you were identifying as a cat, there's a problem. Like there, there is, there is a disjunct between reality. It's what is it? Life of Brian, John Cleese, that the beautiful scene where he's like, well, they're at war with reality. And that's exactly mm. what we're seeing. Yeah. But yet because of this foundation that these kids had, or just even with critical thing, I don't know their religious background, uh, just from basic logic and biology. I mean, they knew, wait a second, you cannot identify as a cat. And, yeah. but the same logic that allows for a male to identify as a female is the exact same logic that I, that allows for someone to identify as multiple spirits or different animals. I mean, it really opens the floodgates. So, sure. so as a parent, it's one of those to where we need to take regular inventory of our child's uh, theological uh, theological knowledge, their personality as well. Again, mm -hmm. children who are more empathetic are more likely to be um, wooed by the LGBTQ ideology because they naturally feel the hurts, the deep wounds of their friends. And sometimes that empathy can outweigh critical thinking. And they say, oh, my friend is hurting. And my friend's solution for that is affirmation. Okay, well, I'm just going to affirm them because that will stop the pain. Yeah, um, yeah. But we but we are called actually not to not to tolerate an evil we're just delight in truth and so what we need to do with the empathetic kids is look empathy is a wonderful thing and we should empathize with these individuals because all of us at some point in time have had a sort of existential crisis to some extent and it is a deeply vulnerable place to mm -hmm. be so there needs to be empathy there however we don't allow emotional wounds to become a filter for truth. And so that's where mm. we say, okay, I see where you're coming from. But then we ask the more open-ended questions. Okay, but why do you feel this way? What is leading you to come to this conclusion? Could it be something else? And I mean, study after study after study is showing that so many kids with gender dysphoria, it's actually a symptom of a co-occurring psychological morbidity, whether it's depression, anxiety, abuse, borderline personality disorder, autism. Um, I mean, they've even, uh, there was a study done in, I think it was 1994. So this was before gender dysphoria became popular and mm. gender dysphoria was still around then, but it wasn't as common. And what 
even back then they, they were interviewing these children who are identifying as a different gender. And what they found is that children who suffered from gender dysphoria had an increased likelihood of a parent actually having a psychological disorder and the parent was projecting it onto the child. Yeah. And so kind of a, um, kind of a Munchausen's by proxy situation, uh, was mm -hmm. going on. And so it's one of those to where when we start teaching our kids to think well, then we cannot be uh, so blinded by feelings and emotions, which are real, but they're not always true. And instead we can then cultivate, okay, what else could be going on? And that's what, that's what our kids need. That's just good healthcare, but we're not getting that in the culture that we're having. And you just said so much. It's like, <clears throat> I, I think one of the big problems is that um, in this in those settings, like you mentioned, uh, you know, that teacher that was harassing these these other students in the UK for, you know, their stance that, you know, this is not normal behavior. This is not, you know, something's wrong here when somebody is identifying as a cat. Like mm -hmm. that's not that's not normal behavior. We're treating it like like, it's, you know, the society's trying to treat it like it's normal behavior. Yeah. And it's like, well, <clears throat> if you want to do that. Like, if that's your thing and you feel like doing that, like, I mean, <laughs> if you're an adult and you want to do that, like, okay, fine. But like, this is not, this is not something that, uh, like, why should we have to accept that this is normal, like human behavior when it's right. clearly not. Right. But I think one of the problems is that, um, you know, people in that position, like the teacher, like teachers, administrators, and then of course, people in the med in the medical community, think they're just they're under so much just increasing pressure mm -hmm. to affirm these things uh, yeah. for for fear of maybe losing their position or being ostracized you know by others or you know whatever it might look like but you know that's that's a big issue there and i think what you said is is such an important art that we need to learn it's being able to have compassion and love and have empathy and like have acceptance for people for mm -hmm. who they are and recognizing that um you know whatever ideology you live under whatever it is that you believe whether i agree with that or not i i believe at the you know core foundation of of human existence that you are an image bearer of god you are yeah. one who's been created in god's image that is who you are like that is that is your identity and and so being able to recognize and honor and appreciate and esteem and value somebody for who they are while not dispensing with truth mm -hmm. to say like oh yeah everything that you're saying is is totally fine because we think that what i think i think what's coming from this ideology is they're trying to say that that that's the compassion move, that the compassion move is just to completely affirm everybody, you know, no matter what it is that they, you know, think about their, you know, identity and whatever else, completely affirm all of that, because that's, that's who they are. Mm -hmm. And they're trying to tout that as like, that's the compassionate move, where no, like, if somebody's really broken and hurting and struggling with something, like, we should come around them and love them and not um, you know, not condemn them, not beat them up, but at the same time, like, like help them to recognize that, you know, what they're dealing with might not be a hundred percent. Okay. And like, it's not compassion to just kind of, uh, pretend that it's normal behavior. Does that, does that yeah. make sense? No. And it does. And that's what, that's where it's kind of stacked the deck 
uh, the ideology is stack the deck in a way because they're saying, okay, you need to be compassionate, loving, and affirming, but you have to abide by my definitions of compassion, love, and affirming. So we've we've taken the the medical system, the APA, the CDC, the World Health Organization. You know, they've jumped on the bandwagon of of uh, this affirming ideology and saying, okay, this is the only way you can affirm love and defend. But when you actually look at, okay, who we are as people, what actually are human rights? What is a human right? And then looking at especially affirming care, does that actually affirm the inherent human dignity within each and every individual? And it is, it's not, it's deeply degrading, but because we've wrapped it up so much in emotion and so much in stigma, I mean, doctors now and pediatricians are coached to tell parents, do you know, do you want a live daughter or a dead son? And I mean, parents are being held hostage by a supposed uh, medical authority. Yeah, it's emotional manipulation. And then this now trickles down into our kids because our kids, especially the junior high and high school range, they are being heavily radicalized through social media to get on this affirming only bandwagon. And this is how you become an ally. And to be an ally, you affirm, endorse, embrace, defend till your dying breath. I mean, you are not allowed to compromise. There's um, the, I believe it's called the human rights organization, which you would think that these folks are advocating for human rights, like, you know, against human trafficking, equal pay, that sort of thing. And really it would probably be best be better defined as, you know, um, LGBTQ uh, equity rights, you know, that would be a better name mm. for it. Cause that's what they're hyper-focused yeah. on. And, yeah. um, that's what they're saying. You, you have to embrace, you have to go along with everything. And they actually have a ranking system for businesses mm. on how affirming they are. And you have to wow. drink the Kool-Aid and completely go along and change all of how you even function your business to be completely affirming. Otherwise you are, nope, you're off the list. You're not an ally. Yes. You, and there's, there's no middle ground. There's no neutrality. There's no, okay, cool. I, well, I can, I can just say I'm, I'm on your side. I'm rooting for you. No, that's not enough. You have to do the next thing. And then once you do the next thing, you have to do the next thing. Otherwise, oh, you're going to lose status points. Um, and I, and it's, it's wild, but that, and that's where, you know, with our kids, especially we need to talk about, because one question a lot of teens have or can I be an ally as a Christian? And okay, well, what does it mean to be an ally? And what are we aligning with? And when you break down yeah. the worldview and the obligations to that worldview, you see that they are mutually exclusive. Uh, it's, yeah. I believe in a passage in Amos, Amos 3, might be 3.3. 3. Um, don't quote me on it though, but I do know it's Amos, <laughs> um, to where it says that uh, can two walk along the same path and be in disagreement? I mean, just like when Jesus was saying that no freshwater spring can spout out salt water and figs cannot bear olives, you know, we cannot as Christians align with an ideology because what that requires us to do is to set aside the Christian worldview completely and embrace an entirely different worldview. Now, you might have a charlatan posing as Jesus, Jesus in name only, um, maybe the beard as well, because that's pretty trendy right now. However, theology, doctrinally, it is completely counter Christian. And then mm. you have to align to that and actively promote that to the, the negligence and rejection of the Christian worldview. And so wow. when you actually can break it down for kids and kids are smart, oh my gosh, you're don't underestimate your, your junior high, your, your fifth and sixth grader. When you actually just break it down, be like, baby, let's just look at what they're saying. 
this is the LGBTQ worldview. This is the Christian worldview. This is what it says about who we are. And this is what the ideology says about who you are and where your salvation is found and what is truth and morality. And when you can take it and just break it down for your kids in a safe atmosphere, because that's what our homes are supposed to be. Our homes are training grounds. And so we don't want to be uh, angry or, you know, spewing vile or just uh, degrading these individuals. Because when we degrade somebody, we degrade their humanity as well. Be like, yes. look, they have very justifying reasons for why they believe what they believe. Nobody yes. just made an impulsive yeah. decision. Um, and when we can do that and help kids say, see that you can actually clearly look at an issue and evaluate it for its truthness, for its soundness, then all of a sudden that takes such a huge weight off their shoulders because when they're at school, when they're on social media, it's all active activism. You got to do this. It's, it's hatred right. and tension and, mm-hmm. and nope, let's just look at it for what it is. And that's what we need our kids to do. Um, because our culture today doesn't want them to think they just want them to act. I mean, Yes. Is it uh, Zoe Zephyr is Montana lawmaker, a, a trans woman. So a biological male mm-hmm. identifying as a woman. Um, he was saying that you, we cannot even talk about transgenderism. We shouldn't even talk about it because it might cause someone to commit suicide. And right, so what's right. problematic about that statement is that's like saying we shouldn't allow anyone to have cars because somebody might decide to drive it into a building. I mean, mm-hmm. it just, it's, a, it's completely illogical. If someone, and, and there are cases of people when we interact with these topics, that it pushes them over the edge. But that doesn't, that doesn't say that we shouldn't talk about this issue. That means that this person had psychological issues prior to this subject that were unaddressed. And that's a problem. And so yes. on one side, you have an ideology that is like, no, we shouldn't talk about it. Instead, we just need to fight for them. And then you throw in Taylor Swift at her, her what is it, ERA's tour that she's on right now. And she's like, we got to vote the haters out. So you've got people encouraging, hey, don't think about it. Uh, and then you've got, you know, the activists like uh, like Taylor Swift saying, oh, and just go and vote. I mean, it is just mm-hmm. a tragic combination that can lead to the forwarding of an ideology that yeah. completely degrades society to its core. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, th- I think um, one of the one of the interesting things um, to go back to something that you said a few minutes ago it's 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 interesting to me and it comes off it's very disingenuous i think how they 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 lump these issues all together yeah and so and it, i think it's very manipulative the way the way that it's done mm-hmm. is that you know they'll they'll look at social justice and so that'll include you know racism and it'll include lgbtq it'll it'll include like all of these different things that they kind of lump together and so it's like if you don't accept and affirm all of it, then you're a bigot. If you don't accept yeah. and affirm all of it, then that you know what I mean. And so like they put it together. It's really not fair for each individual group. And, and I've even seen how um, like a lot of a lot of people within the LGBTQ community who have like identified as part of that you know community for a long time. It's like they're not a lot of them are not even on board with a lot of the stuff that's going on now and a lot of the stuff that's being pushed. Like there's mm-hmm. a lot of trans people that are not at all on board with like the way they're trying to indoctrinate children into this trans ideology. Oh yeah, gays against groomers. Not, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like they they realize that it's not uh it's not good, it's not helpful, it's mm-hmm. sick. Like there's some twisted um perversion behind that that wants to like like to, to act like our, our our children like our kids our elementary school age kids like really need to be that aware of their sexuality and like mm-hmm. the, just the the agenda like behind all that 
there's like plenty of people, like probably the majority of people within that within the community are just like, like, this doesn't even make sense what you're doing. And it's like, they're just, there's just this divide that's being created and, and -hmm. just being amplified. And even like with, um, there's, there's a lot of voices on the conservative side that are becoming more and more, you know, more and more uh, strong Mm -hmm. and getting a lot more attention. And like, I enjoy, like, I enjoy watching a good Ben Shapiro, you know, Ben Shapiro destroys college students. Like, I, like, I'm, I I enjoy watching those videos because I I enjoy listening to like arguments and, and just kind of hearing both sides and, and different things like that. But um, I, I do think a lot of times like what's what's lacking from the conservative voice on things is compassion. And it's like yeah. what you said, where a lot of times it's just like um, you, I, I think you can be right a lot of times and you can have a stronger argument, but you can do it in a way that really does kind of put the other person down. Yeah. And when we do that, I just think that. I don't think that that has a place in in the church because although we we do need to speak and declare and have a strong voice for truth mm-hmm. for what the Bible says for what God says um, you know not like watering things down not sugarcoating things but um, I, I when we've we, we see in society how like there's such a division of like us versus them. Mm-hmm. And it's like, if you're not a hundred percent on board with this ideology, then you're one of them. And therefore yeah. you're against us. Like yeah. we even see that in the LGBTQ community where it's like people that might identify as trans or might be gay or bisexual or whatever the case may be. And, but they, but they think that somebody who identifies as a cat is like, well, that's a different thing. And there might be mm-hmm. a mental issue going on there. Like that person is ostracized by, you know, seemingly their own community, so to speak. Mm-hmm. But it's like, because they're not fully on board with that, like, oh, well now you're a them. Now you're, now you're, uh, now you're against us. And it, it's just, you know, th- there's just such a like us and them kind of division thing happening. And I, I think that as God's people, like we do, need to find a way or just like get better at um being accepting of people without a you know without affirming an ideology that we disagree with or whatever but but still accepting of people and still being able to express and show how much god loves them and and just to say just just to say this like i um uh i was a, a fan of the 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 blog post that you put out on pride for pride month and how you said in there like it's just a lie that says that you know if you're a part of the lgbtq plus community like it's, it's a, that you're not you're you're not welcome in the church yeah it's like no you're well you said you said something like this you're welcome and you're you're welcome to come in and sit next to any center that you want <laughs> like yeah. pick who, pick who you want to sit <laughs> pick next your favorite to. center yeah pick your yeah and and yeah i mean i just think cultivating that yeah. more of like like we're going to accept you, we're going to speak the truth, but we're going to mm-hmm. speak the truth in love. And I think that in love part is very often just missing from debates and conversations and 
stuff like that. Yeah. And I mean, it, it, it's all depends on the situation too, because I mean, when you, when you mentioned Ben Shapiro or Matt Walsh, a lot of his engagement settings, I mean, he's on a, a progressive college campus oh, and it's yeah. very oh, confrontational. Yeah. So, oh, I mean, yeah. you know, you could, you could try and do the gracious approach. Um, you're probably going to get ran over. So it's almost one of those situations, kind of a John the Baptist situation or, you know, a Jesus flipping tables situation to where it's like, okay, you know what, we're in this setting, it's okay to be, you know, point for point, we're, we're going to stand firm. Right, um, right, um, right. However, like you mentioned within the church, uh, there, there needs to be, uh, there needs to be that grace. There has to be that grace. Um, but that doesn't mean that it's always going to be seen as grace. And I think as Christians, what we need mm -hmm. to remember and especially remind our kids is it doesn't matter how graciously you speak truth. If someone is opposed to truth, if they're opposed to God, they're going to see it as hatred. They're going to see it as shaming. Wow. They're going to see Good you point. as belittling them. They're going to use those buzzwords that we see. And, you know, we, we get pushed back all the time on that when, whenever we discuss this issue, because, you know, there, there was a individual on Instagram who she was like, no, I, you say that we're welcome in church. Church, but we're not because every time my friends have gone into church, they have they have been belittled, they have been abused, and it's quite possible that they have. Um, sure. It's also possible that some of that was misperceived because you can sure. be so hypersensitive to something that uh, you know even just if someone glances at you too long or if there's a pause, then oh my gosh, this is a microaggression. Unfortunately, with yeah, millennials your, and uh, Gen Z, bias, right. It's what you expect. And so that's what you, that's what you, you perceive. look for it. And then any yeah. sort of signal to it. Oh, well that just affirms it. Oh, and yeah. now I, you know, I've been microaggressed and triggered and, and unfortunately millennials and Gen Z especially has been cultivated to be hypersensitive to anything that might be perceived as uh, aggression or non-affirmation. And so there, yeah, as verbal violence. And so that is where, okay. We have to take that into consideration too. Yes, you might feel something, but just because feelings are real, it doesn't mean that they're true. Is that actually going mm, on? Um, good. And then also there, there's having to overcome the hurdle of what is truth and love because the ideology has co-opted those words to mean affirmation. I mean, you, I don't know that you realize that you actually quoted Jojo Siwa when, uh, when you said you're either for us or, or against us. So she, you know, Jojo Siwa who's huge, um, uh, huge influencer among little girls, you know, all those years ago, she's, she's in her twenties now, but that's what she told at a, at a rally. Basically she goes, you're either for us or you're in our way. I mean, it was that mm. false dichotomy. And so when we're on a one-on-one -on -one or a church situation, you do, you, you have to be more gracious because you are dealing with a lifetime of, of baggage, of perhaps misunderstanding who God is. Perhaps maybe a family member has just been absolutely awful uh, to this individual and you don't know their background yet. So you can't just go blaring in there like a, like a self-righteous honey badger and expect it all to end well. However, too, what we need to encourage um, the LGBTQ community, you know, is just because you've had a bad church experience doesn't yes. mean that now you don't be, get to be involved in church because guess who else had a really bad church experience? 
Jesus. And you know what he said afterward, after the church crucified him? He said, go and do not give uh, give up communing and being around each other. You have to be a part of this church. Go and make mm-hmm. disciples of all nations. Um, it is not the church experience that dictates rightness. It's his word. And so, you know what? You may have been lumped in with a bad life group, or maybe you're around some folks that did not handle what you're going through graciously, that doesn't mean you pull out the church. That means you find a new group. And there's one, uh, there, there's a great group, depending on your church, uh, look for, look up something called Regen. So it's called Regeneration. And it's, it, oftentimes it's, it's correlated with um, folks who are overcoming addiction, substance abuse, depression, anxiety, um, unhealthy social expectations, that sort of thing. But it's, a, it's also a discipleship program of how to come to know Christ better. And if you want to get around a group of people who are not going to judge you at all for your background, because they are very aware of their own pitfallings. But what is so amazing is that they are just, they recognize how broken we all are and that how desperately we all need Jesus. And man, if you want a crew, go find a regen group because not only will you have folks who will not reduce you to whatever you're struggling with, they're going to have some of the most amazing praise and worship that you've ever been a part of. And I've been able to go to uh, a few of these regen sessions and it's just, it's, it's awesome. The community there is fantastic. And so we have to we have to keep that in mind as as believers and and as understanding that too there's a very real enemy at work. And you know, I, I don't know, have you have you seen the movie Nefarious? No. Oh, okay. So you got to see it. Uh, it's, it is so good. It's like a psychological thriller that, that came out and I forget the producers. It, I know it's done by, um, a lot of the folks that do like the Christian movies and just full disclosure, my, we're like movie snobs, you know? So we, we don't, we don't watch a lot of the Christian movies cause they're kind of on like the hallmark level of corniness. And mm-hmm. so, um, so this movie came out and the basic premise is, is there's a death row inmate who is, uh, a psychologist psychologist is having to evaluate him to determine whether or not he's fit to be executed. And the stance is, is either he's, he's sane and he's fit to be executed or he's insane or he's demonically possessed. So the whole movie is basically this, this jailhouse scene to where he's this uh, secular psychologist is trying to figure out if this gentleman is actually truly possessed or if he's just faking everybody out to try and get out of execution. Oh my gosh. So we took my 15 year old son to it. He he almost wet himself because he did not want to get up because uh, he wanted to see all the scenes, but he had slammed like this massive coke and everything. And uh, it it was I've only had two movies that I've ever wanted to turn back around and sit right back in the theater for, and it was Top Gun Maverick wow. and Nefarious. Well, anyways, wow. um, long aside, uh, in that movie, one of the discussions is you know the psychologist is like, okay, so you're a demon, right? And you're waging war against God. But you know God's going to win. So what are you doing? Like, why even waste your time? And he's sitting there and he goes, well, of course God's going to win. He goes, we know we're not going to win. Our goal is to destroy what he loves. And who does he love? Humanity. And so that's what we actually see creeping in with things like um, queer theology. It's a complete Mm -hmm. corrupting of scripture. I mean, it's Genesis 3, that lie of Satan in the garden saying, did God really say? And that's what we see within queer theology. It's heavily based on liberation theology of, well, God is this great liberator. Jesus is this liberator of uh, of the oppressed 
throw in feminism as well and feminist theology of, oh, you know, Jesus uplifted women. And so you combine that together and saying, okay, well, LGBTQ is oppressed and anything that's got heteronormity, meaning male-female relationships um, or the patriarchy, well, that's toxic to feminism. So we got to get rid of it. That's kind of the filter for what we see in queer theology. So we they take theology and put it through this affirming filter and whatever doesn't affirm cry or what doesn't affirm LGBTQ ideology, it gets tossed out or it gets rewritten or, um, and then it's it's twisted. And so we see this younger generation coming up saying, well, no, that's not actually what scripture says. And oh, no, they didn't have a concept of actually good, healthy relationships. And, you know, it's all of these like Michael Vines, very popular level arguments that sound good. But actually, when you break them down, they're theologically bankrupt. And the mm. even the hermeneutics that went into coming to this conclusion is just completely false. But yet they don't see it because again, it affirms what they're going through. It affirms the feelings, offers the support uh, that they're lacking. And it's often given in this grace based approach that, oh, see the oppressors, those those crazy fundamentalist Christians, they just want to keep you down and steal your joy. But because Jesus loves you so much, then love is love. And because you are made in God's image, then any form of sex or anything you do with your body is holy. And I mean, these are, these are the lies that are being told to yeah. this generation. And it's catching on like wildfire because it sounds good. It sounds almost right. And isn't that, you know, Satan's most clever tools? It doesn't have to be completely false. It just has to sound almost right for it to be most effective. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it's like, and the more you say something, like the more you say it, and then the more you get more people to say it, the more that it just kind of becomes the norm, like a normal way of thinking. And mm -hmm. it might be a complete lie. Like, I mean, like, for example, not to not to shift gears completely here, but, you know, like like the idea of, um, you know, like my body, my choice. Yeah. And it's like, well, like, that's just something that's been said so much. So now it's like it's almost hard it, like to make that argument that says, well, this is not a woman's right to choose because it's it's been said so much that yeah. it's like normal so that it's become a, a woman's issue. So that it's become mm -hmm. an, an issue of, well, this is my body. So I get. I should have the right to choose whether or not, you know, I want to have this baby or if I want to have an abortion or whatever. And it's something that's just been said so much that it like defies the logic of it. And yeah. it's like, 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 how did we get to the point over the past 40 years or so? Like, how did we get to the point that it's just like it, it it's it's normal behavior to think that, you know, aborting a child is a basic human right. It's yeah. Like, well, it was said. It was just said over mm -hmm. and over and over again. I see that now, like in the gender issue, I see that with differentiating between sex and gender. Mm -hmm. And it's like they're, they're trying to say it so much. This idea that sex and gender are mutually exclusive. They're not the same thing. And so your sex is one thing. Your biological sex is one thing. But gender is fluid and gender right. is on a spectrum. And that mm -hmm. and so, so in other words, sex and gender are, are not the same thing. And I just feel like I feel it like I feel it. Uh, every time I hear it, it's like they're just trying to say it over and over and over and over and over again so that it can kind of become the the thing that people accept. Yeah. Um, and so I, I just kind of see I, I kind of see that where it's like, you know, if you say something enough, if you put it out there enough, whether it's like, you know, it was the theory of evolution, but it's been said so much. Mm -hmm. It's been talked about so much that even though like, uh, I mean, a, a, a scientist has to look 
at the theory of evolution and like the big bang and all of that like they have to be able to look at that and logically conclude that it doesn't make any sense that nothing came from nothing mm -hmm. but it's been said so much and it's been talked about so much not as like a potential not even as a theory but as something that is yeah. and so now it's just kind of widely accepted in the ether of you know humanity and and society and thought and so it's just it just it is that way now um, yeah it's so, become a so mantra much. yeah 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 and i mean yeah. that makes sense right because the desensitization and normalization they they work in mm -hmm. concert with one another because you know to to at first to say that you know sex and gender were different that that caught people off guard because uh they would right. say no that's that's the same thing i mean that's that's why we even today you know we still refer to uh gender reveal parties we don't say sex reveal parties because that could get awkward quick um we we call them gender because that's what was used interchangeably um, but now we've had to differentiate them. And that was, you know, Simone de Beauvoir and Judith Butler, you know, they, they had to separate them as a way of liberating women from the oppressive male patriarchy. Mm -hmm. And so they rightly identified oppression, but they wrongly concluded the solution. And wow. so you cannot protect yeah. something that you cannot define, but hmm. if you say it enough, then it, it, people are desensitized and shock them anymore. And then it just becomes normal. Oh, of course, gender and sex are two different things. And no, they're not. You know, you, I hear it all the time. Oh, oh, uh, gender is a, is a construct. Yeah, it is. It's mm -hmm. a construct. It's completely made up. You know, this idea of, oh, we can define men by if they like football and beard and chicken wings, uh, then that's a guy. No, it's not, you know, uh, sure. same with women. Oh, you know, as if they're soft-spoken, nurturing and like the color pink, you know, that's, that's girl stuff. Mm -hmm. And no, it's not. Um, um, very few men and women st uh, stick within those strict gender stereotypes, sure. but it's become a mantra that can now be activized and it can be exploited. And now it's a position of power. And I mean, you mentioned earlier about how these doctors are not speaking up because they are losing their practices. I mean, that's how much mm -hmm. of a hold that gender ideology has over the medical and psychological community, that doctors are losing their ability to, to practice and just state biological fact. And I mean, uh, gosh, it was at the, yeah. at the courtroom with, um, Riley, the, the swimmer. And, uh, the, one of the, the judges up there was just saying, oh, well, there's no biological advantage to a male competing against other females in sports. Are you kidding me? Yes, there is a ton of evidence, scientific, concrete, undeniable evidence. And what's fascinating is when you actually look at it, there has not been one female or excuse me, the, uh, it's a biological female, so a trans male. There's never been a trans male that has ever been able to compete competitively in male sports. Now, there is sure. a trans male swimmer. I believe uh, she swam for Duke. Um, she originally, for the first several seasons, swam on the women's team. She identified as a woman, um, swam on the women's team. Um, and they, you know, they had multiple wins and, and, you know, she had records and that sort of things. Well, then when she decided to transition to a male, her coach already knew her. So he allowed her to swim on the male team, but there uh -huh. were no wins. There were right. no successes. Uh, yet she competed against them. Um, 
And why is that? That's because biological men are are stronger, faster. Their muscle and bone density is greater than women. Um, and so they're going to have an advantage. I mean, my husband and I were, were talking about this. He loves golf and he's a, he's a good amateur golfer. And I was like, well, you know, golf seems like a sport that maybe could be more on equal, equal par. <laughs> golf pun, equal par with, um, male and women or men and women. And he goes, um, not quite. He goes, because in drives, a man is going to outdrive a woman every time. And so he showed me, uh, this golf course that he'd gone to on one of the holes. He goes, uh, if you look at the male and female tees, he goes, even though I am an amateur male and he looked up the LGBT or the, um, the ladies pro, uh, for female golfers, he goes, I outdrive her every time. And I'm just an amateur. And right. he goes, and look at this one right. hole, however many yards it was. He goes, if I was driving from the women's tees, I would hit the green every single time, whereas she would have to wow. take two strokes to get to the green. And so he goes on short game. Usually girls have an edge, fine motor skills. Women on average are typically better at fine motor skills than men, which is why women on average, they're the ones teaching children how to use scissors, not guys. Guys are like knife. Let me hack it, you know? And so, um, so they typically have an edge yeah. with putting, but if you already yeah. have a one to two, two stroke lead on a golf course or on a, yeah. on a hole it, that, that there's no advantage or there's immense advantage yeah. to the males rather than the females. But because yeah. it's being said by the political leaders, by the judges, by the psychologists who have already drunk the ideological Kool-Aid, people are going along with it because it's that kind of, um, Oh, that, uh, that authority fallacy to where it's, oh, well, as long as an authority figure says it, uh, then it must be true. And no authority figures make mistakes all the time. So we can't just take the letters behind their name as confirmation that they are now omniscient and know all the things and can never be wrong and infallible. Um, no, we have to still investigate it. And, what we're seeing is doctors and psychologists. Um, uh, Jordan Peterson was one that that he was attacked. Uh, Dr. Leonard Sachs, uh, or no, Zucker, Dr. Zucker out of Canada, leading child psychologist on gender dysphoria. He lost his entire practice, yeah. just walked into work yeah. one day and they said, hey, guess what? How you do your practice? Because he had a wait and see approach with children who were struggling with their gender identity. He, they said, your form of practice is no longer consistent with the leading method of thought you're fired. And I mean, that, that was his day. He wasn't wow. even allowed to go back to his office. And it's just because they had accepted the ideology that says, no, we have to affirm in every single case. And that's, that's pr- deeply, deeply problematic. That is not healthcare. That is actually incredibly damaging. And we're still probably a good five years out from truly seeing the fallout of, of what we're doing to kids. But what's so hopeful and, and encouraging is we're seeing this shift already occurring within the UK to where these gender clinics yeah. are being shut down and teachers are being investigated when all of a sudden their students are identifying as cats, dogs, uh, the moon. Yeah, apparently you can identify as the moon now. Um, I'm not even kidding. I read it in an article just yesterday. Uh, and and they're being investigated because they're recognizing, wait a second, this, this is like a, this is social contagion. This is not... Yeah. Sure. A, a normal, healthy, it's attention-seeking behavior in yeah. a lot of ways. Uh, not always, not always, but I, but I think a lot of it, a lot of it is that it's like what you mentioned earlier with that little girl who you know recognized that she could get a party if she you know said that she identified a, a certain way. Yeah, and you know a lot of it, a lot of it, I think is that. Um, mm. it's, not all that by any means. And th- and there are, I mean, and like, to, I think it's important to differentiate too, because there are really people that do 
you know, um, actually struggle with the issue of gender dysphoria. Um, There are really like intersex people um, that are, you know, born um, with a um, they they might be born with, um, you know, both set of, uh, of sexual organs or something like that. And so it's like and there's all different categories of of uh, intersex individuals they're they're the 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 vast um minority i think of of cases of like what you and i are are talking about and so yeah. again like i think that that's where like for sure we definitely have to have compassion with people especially the people that are like really they've actually got some kind of a you know a, like a gender dysphoria some kind of a mental um disorder uh, that's that's causing them to, you know, think the way they're thinking, to feel uncomfortable in their body, or whatever the case may be. But again, it's like when it comes down to this, like when we talk about the medical stuff and how you know people losing their practices and things of that nature, it's like really disturbing when you really see how so many like the major pharmaceutical companies are really the ones that are funding like medical schools, and they're the ones yeah. that are like really like when you you know, if we, if we trace it back, it's like, it's like, that's where money comes from yeah. to, you know, put doctors through university to, you know, fund hospitals, to fund research centers, like all of this different stuff. And so like, there's a real correlation. There's a, there's a real, um, what's what I'm looking for? Uh, like there's a real incentive for, you know, there to be control over the, the medical industry from pharmaceutical companies who are going to profit for the entire life of an individual who, you know, ha- maybe has a, a gender reversing surgery or, you know, something of that nature. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't, I didn't say that right. Gender reversing surgery, but um, um, what's the word I'm looking for there? Oh, gender um, affirming care. Gender affirming care for sure. But also like the pharmaceutical drugs that somebody who actually, you know, has a like this, like a surgical procedure to change their their sex. Right. Uh, like they're going to be on medication and expensive medication to maintain that for the rest of their lives. Yeah. And so this is where like I've heard trans men and women come out who have um, had surgical procedures and have gone through um, th- that actual change that's taken place and where some have been happy with it. Some have been unhappy with it. Um, but, but they all recognize how difficult it is to live with. Yeah. And for that to be, you know, pushed on individuals when they're, when they're young, when they're not even at the age of consent and then Mm -hmm. their parents are manipulated into, uh, you know, like what you said earlier, their parents are manipulated into, you know, just giving in and following the advice of a doctor, um, who's, you know, saying that this is something that needs to be done, or, you know, you might, uh, you know, cause your child to struggle with suicidality or like whatever the case is, but it's like all of these things that, I mean, there's can't ignore the fact that like, there's real incentive. And I think, um, you know, exploitation that's going on behind the scenes. And it's, again, it's being touted as, like, oh, we care about we care about you. We care about your feelings. We care about your emotions. We care about, um, you know, you. We want to affirm you. And I really think that there's some, you know, there's a lot of stuff that's like a lot more sinister going on behind the scenes yeah. where really people are being taken advantage of. Yeah. Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, their their practices are being held hostage, and there is the financial aspect of it as well. I mean, there was a. Uh, 
Oh, uh, there was a doctor that was caught on recording at a, she was at a hospital um, up north to where she said, this is a cash cow. Like we make a ton of money off this because these surgeries are expensive and the life, um, the lifelong upkeep is, is yeah, they can make bank yeah, off it. Millions. And so, yeah, huge, huge incentive for for each and every person. And what's interesting now is to see the shift um, of kind of this backpedaling uh, to where I'm I'm seeing more and more doctors say, well, we, we should not be held accountable for the surgeries that we did on a 13-year-old. You know, this double mastectomy we did on a 13-year-old. We doctors should not be held accountable uh, because you parents need to take responsibility. It's your, your fault for allowing your child to let us do this to your child. And I'm like, I'm sorry, did you, are you a doctor or do you work at the drive-thru at McDonald's? These procedures should not be ordered in the way that they are just freely. And then you took a vow to, uh, to go and do no wrong to, to harm none. And Mm -hmm. I mean that the Hippocratic oath is you are not going to harm individuals, but yet that is what these do. The the psychological studies on long-term care show that while there is an initial honeymoon period following surgery, Mental health ends up plummeting uh, oftentimes around the five-year mark is what they've noticed. Uh, But so many studies don't go out further than five years. Most studies only stay within one to three years. And, oh, are you happy with your decision? Sure, I'm happy. But yet we're having more and more cases of individuals come forward who are saying, no, I'm not. And what I realize is- five-year mark seems to be a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it makes sense because when you think about it, uh, depending on how you uh, how old you are when this when this occurs, I mean, a 13 year old, what how you think and see yourself at 13 is different than at 18. And at 18, it's different than when you're at 23. And especially when you start thinking about uh, the the future of having children and wanting to breastfeed uh, or just basic fertility. And you realize, oh, man, these surgeries, these hormones, they completely wrecked my body and I'm not even able to conceive anymore. Um, that, that I think is where we're going to see a lot of this shift. And that's where, especially with our kids, because just children by nature, um, are, are more tuned to think emotionally rather than think critically, especially when they are, are feeling lost and COVID through, uh, the teen generation just in a tailspin because it, it Mm -hmm. cut them off from their, their source of community and hyper focus them online to where now they're trying to find out who they are online. And especially if they are wrestling with insecurities, depression, anxiety, that sort of thing, girls especially will start to seek out solutions to that. And, oh, well, maybe it's because you don't feel like you fit in. Maybe it has to do with your body. And that's why we're seeing this huge spike in girls going along with this because it's cultivated through social media. They're trying to find a solution to their depression and anxiety. They've lost their earlier grounding of who they base their identity on, which was their friend group, their school setting, prom, all of these things. Mm -hmm. And so you've thrown them into this existential crisis and then offered this sort of false carrot of a solution through gender affirming care. And for kids, this is trumpeted as salvation. And so no wonder they're going along through it, but it really exposes the need uh, for parents and the church to step in and be like, wait a second, wait a second. Whose are you? What is your true identity based on? Because uh, Gen Z, especially what they've noticed is Gen Z is, is gravitating toward vintage items. 
They, you know, Pyrex, the vintage Pyrex is becoming popular. Uh, record stores are popping up. They're they're looking for something that's unique to their generation because the only thing that Gen Z has right now is social media and social media mm. blows. And so they're yeah. looking for something better, something tangible that they can tie with their generation. Mm, and my blockbuster stock's going to come back up. It might. That card that's in the back of your wallet that you're hanging on to, it might come back. And, I still have um, one. Oh my a, gosh. A card okay, we're going to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just waiting. I'm waiting for the for the pendulum shift back. Yeah. Yeah, it's coming. It's coming. But but yeah, the, this generation they're looking for something to cling to. Yeah. So there's this vacuum and it's because maybe we as parents or maybe we as a church have not brought up our kids to know, okay, what is your identity built upon? It's built mm -hmm. around the rock of Christ and that never yes. changes. It doesn't change with your lifestyle, what you, what you do for a job, what you like uh, for bands and hobbies. None of that changes. This is your anchor. And uh, there was, there's this chart that popped up on Twitter. I'll have to text it to you. It was showing how when COVID kicked off, like the kind of this nihilistic perspective spiked within teenagers to where they felt that life was meaningless and all was worthless and they don't know what's going on in the world. They're having these emotional struggles. And it's because what it underlines is that we have stripped away and vilified all aspects of their identity and put it based mm. on these sort of ever-changing subjective preferences. And wow. it's no wonder these kids are floundering because we haven't given them a rock to stand on. We've basically given them jello and expected them to be able to stand firm upon it. And no, they're drowning in the process. Wow. wow. Does part of you think that it's so th this is not, this is not going to come out right. It's <laughs> those are the kinda, best <laughs> kind of good that like, <laughs> like there's maybe a silver lining, not that it's good, but maybe a silver lining in that um, things are getting, are, are becoming just more and more like somebody identifying as the moon. Like, do you, do you think like the, cause the further you let it go, the further it's just going to keep going and the more just yeah. like outlandish and, and bizarre, some of this stuff is going to get to where like, I mean, I, I mean, I would have to imagine that, I mean, the vast majority of people would look at that and say like, no, like that's not, that doesn't make any sense. Like, do yeah. you think that it, you know, kind of the, the floodgates being opened and things kind of going uh, so far in, mm -hmm. in one direction, like, do you think that ultimately it's gonna help a lot of people to like, wake up to the reality that like, this is the, like, I, I, I don't know, because it all yeah. starts somewhere, right? Mm -hmm. like, like we we did a podcast a while back where we talked about, you know, like we talked about the shift from modernism to postmodernism and whatever we are in now, like the post postmodernism, like we talked about how the cultural landscape shifts and the way people mm -hmm. think about things, the way people think philosophically shifts. And there was like this big shift um, really like around the turn of the century to like the whole my truth movement of you know what's true for me is great what's true for you is great where mm -hmm. now that's evolved further to like well what what's true for me is for me but you have to fully accept it or you're gonna be a or you're a, a bigot or you're against me or you're in a different group or whatever and to where there's a, a lot more i think tension built up in this system but yeah. it's given people because of the the level of um you know, again, I think it's like this fake acceptance stuff uh, where we're pretending to be compassionate with people and it's really not compassion. It's exploitation in a lot of ways. But it's mm -hmm. like uh, this this stuff that's been, you know, this tension that's built up to to just like, 
I just wonder, like, at what at some point is the dam just going to break? I mean, I think we we see glimpses of it in like mm -hmm. with like what happened with Bud Light, with what happened with Target, yeah. and like where you know they they tried to go like down this 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 route that a lot of people looked at and said, no, like we're not going to let you get away with it this time, and so we're going to make you lose billions of dollars to just like show you like how ridiculous this thing is that you actually you know tried to do yeah so i don't know i wonder like at some point does the dam break and we kind of have a reset <laughs> or do you think ultimately it just kind of keeps going and like getting worse and worse and worse like mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah, I know, right? Because now we kind of drift into like eschatology and end times. And like we know that it's <laughs> it's going to just keep getting progressively worse. So yes, that's going to happen. However, is the dam going to break? And I think it will because that's kind of that's kind of what we see throughout human history, right? I mean, just look at the Israelites. They they would go, everything would be good with God. They would end up turning to uh false idols, and then they would fall into depravity, enslavement, and finally it just got bad enough that they turned and mm -hmm. repented right and then this usually the cycle would start all over again yeah. but still there was always that turning back and repenting and so uh, i do think there's going to be a case and yeah we we did we talked about that it was uh metamodernism to where postmodernism the big thing with postmodernism was that they said you've got your truth and i've got my truth and that's great uh the problem is, is that there's no firm foundation for truth to be able to make change right. uh and to grasp at power uh, because everybody's just, that's just their truth. That's just their opinion. It's all based on opinions. Whereas metamodernism, which is where I, I definitely think we're at now, is I have my truth, but my truth is now your truth. And that's where we yeah. have seen this power grab. Because now if I feel it, then it's true. As long as I'm sincere or have some sort of emotion or self-identified, then it's true. And now everybody else has to change to affirm my truth. That's where we're seeing this huge shift. And it's, it's one that has been, um, really worked at by activists extensively. I mean, it comes down all, it's always the same, right? It comes down through the philosophies, through the universities, yeah. and then it hits popular level. And we've really seen it, it. It almost had a bit of a reverse effect because it, this got activated very quickly. This is my truth and you have to affirm. And it changed the universities to where, you know, like you had mentioned yes. Jordan Peterson, he doesn't, yeah. he doesn't affirm going to Ivy league schools now because it's just one giant liberal indoctrination camp, which unfortunately it is. I mean, even Texas mm -hmm. Christian uh, here in Texas has, has completely gone off the rails. And so, so this uh, has been interesting because it was, it was activated. It was taken advantage of by, of course, you know, liberal media because it's popular. They predominantly uh, have control over all the entertainment spheres, not just Hollywood, but your local news. And so that's all we see. That's all that's being pumped in. And the ultimate goal is to... I honestly think if I can throw out a wacky theory here, like go ahead and wrap your heads in tinfoil. Like this is my theory. I, I think this is an exercise in power grab because what's going on is if we can get a society as a whole to completely abandon obvious, objective, like common sense truth, then what that shows is that the society is easy to be able to take over. And now mm -hmm. we can control everything. I mean, it becomes like a big brother situation. And so yeah. I think the LGBTQ ideology, yes, what it's doing is, is wrong and completely false. But in a way, I think it's almost a front 
because this yeah. is this battle isn't just physical. It's not just ideological. It's spiritual as well. And so what is Satan going to do? He is going to attack truth. And what is one of the loudest mm. testimonies of truth? The human body. It's, it's wow. obvious. I mean, it's coded to our very DNA um, and it's testable. I mean, when we think of like scientism, right? Scientism uh, and naturalism, uh, only the material realm is what exists and it has to be tested within a laboratory and evaluated. We could do that with the human body, but even those standards that were, that could not even be attacked are now under assault right now because it doesn't affirm the wow. ideology because what wow. is the ultimate goal to destroy truth. And yeah. so, but what's great is people are waking up to it. And um, like even my son, you know, he, he talked to me the other day, we were in the car and he was like, mom, have you ever read the book 1984? And I'm like, I knew right where he was going with it. And I'm like, yeah, I have. And he goes, this is wild. I was like, I know. He was like, we're just wow. seeing it everywhere. I'm like, I know. And what what was fiction, you know, in the 70s and the 60s and, and 80s, it's it's now like a blueprint. It's almost like they let us know ahead of time, like, hey, this is where we're going. And everything that we thought was just science science fiction it is now becoming, they're experimenting with reality now. And ultimately it comes down to control and this false concept of who God is. And that's like metamodernism, right? When we think of uh, the metaverse, it, it is an artificial reality of my own creation to where I am now God. I am the arbiter of truth and morality of creation. I mean, we have the World Economic Forum who's talking about how, oh, we just need to have AI in this AI world and how much yeah. greater that is than the actual world. And what all is this? It's just, once again, man trying to elevate himself to be like God. It's back to Genesis 3 all over again, to be mm -hmm. like God, mm -hmm. to control the world, to now say, I determine what is true and what is good and what is moral. And if you don't go along with me, well, then I'm going to punish you as kind of this holy God status. But I mean, if you look at what's going on in culture, human beings make terribly capricious gods. I mean, at best, we're like Zeus. You know, there is no way we could ever get to Jesus' status, but yet we keep trying. And why is that because we as fallen human beings are yeah. always in we're in open rebellion to god when we are not in submission to him and that's what we're seeing play out within this ideological realm is a spiritual battle yeah yeah there's that show the the boys i think it's called on um i haven't seen it on uh it's on amazon prime and it's like it's about superheroes but it but it shows it's like these superheroes and it's kind of a kind of like a satirical approach like view of it it's like looking at it from the other side it's like these people that are superheroes but but they're bad like they're bad people so it's like oh, they do stuff publicly and and what it is is like they're really under the the governance of this like big corporation mm -hmm. i don't really know a ton of ton about it um but like they're, they're under like the governance of like this corporation that kind of runs everything so they do a lot of like superhero stuff saving people for like pr Mm -hmm. But like you hear them like talking about these people like they don't care about the people they're saving and like a lot of times they're just doing bad stuff. They're hurting people like they're killing people hmm. um, like they're, they're doing they're doing different things because like they have all this power. Yeah. And it's like you see that they're you know, it's like absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. Kind right. Of yeah. Like, like your 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 power. Uh, they're they're corrupted by the power that they have and it's kind of showing like you know if they were really like these superhero type individuals that had like all all this strength or the ability to like fly and to use laser vision and you know burn people up with their eyes and stuff like that like whatever it is like that uh they're they're, they're kind of showing that um you know they're being governed by 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 people that are 
you know, wanting to use them for manipulative purposes. Mm-hmm. And ultimately it's like, it just causes them to, you know, to just be really bad people yeah. <laughs> when it comes down to it. And so it's a crazy view of like superheroes when normally a superhero, you know, there's somebody who's all for like the good of humanity and all that. And it's oh like, yeah. It's like, no, they we have all the like power, to imagine we're Captain America, people. but really we're probably yeah. end up more like those exactly. guys. Exactly. So like here, here's my, here's my big thing with all of this is like, um, we talked about, you know, kind of tension being built up and, and, and spilling over and like that dam breaking and like maybe mm-hmm. people waking up, um, to the reality of like, what's been lost in all this. Cause mm-hmm. like, there's been this thing that's been pushed for so long. And again, it's, it's been touted as like, we want to do something that's good for people. And I think mm-hmm. a lot of people, like, not that everybody is like, you know, super corrupt or whatever. Like, I think there's a lot of people that really think that, what they're doing, like what they're doing or the uh, gender ideology that they're promoting that the, yeah. there's a lot of people that actually think they're doing it for the betterment of people, for people's oh, well-being, yeah. for the betterment of humanity. And so recognizing that as well. But it's like when people like start to wake up to like in all of this, like we've lost something that's really, really valuable. We've lost stability. We've mm-hmm. lost like who we are as mm-hmm. people. Like there's a lot of, there's a lot that we've given up um, in praise of this ideology that we've gone after because we were told that it was going to make our lives better. And yeah. I think like when that veil is kind of removed and people do wake up to that, you know, I think of, I think about it like this. Um, you know, I had um, heard about, so like um, a lot of young people, this was years ago that I, um, when I had heard somebody talking about this, um, but uh like a lot of young people that were like growing up in China mm-hmm. and just being very disillusioned and demoralized by like the whole concept of um, communism mm-hmm. and recognizing as they were, you know, getting into their, you know, early adult years, recognizing that really like wool had been pulled over their eyes, so to speak. Yeah. And they were kind of like waking up to that reality and how receptive they were to like incognito missionaries coming into the country and like going on college campuses and things of that nature and like how receptive they were to like hearing about Jesus like how receptive they were to hearing about an alternative from people that were just coming in to build relationships with them and love them yeah and 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 it's like this is my this is my thing with all of this is like whether the dam breaks or whether we just keep getting worse and worse and worse or whatever I just I I, I think as the people of God, like we have to be ready, like wherever we are in society. It's not this thing where so often we're like condemning society for being what it is. And it's like, well, no, like the world is going to make really bad decisions, but you're the light of the world. Mm -hmm. And so like we're sent into the world by Jesus as ambassadors of his world of, of heaven to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ to, to proclaim the gospel, to proclaim what he's done. And it's not this like condemning gospel. It's this, Mm -hmm. it's this truth of like, he came and died for you so that like, you don't have to stay trapped in this, you know, system that has, you know, kept you down and lied to you, Mm -hmm. but where you can actually be free and you can be healed and you can be restored and you can understand who you are and you can understand what your identity is. And so it's like, this is like, for, for me, the big thing is like, wherever we are is, is recognizing that, I mean, people are hurting and people are broken mm-hmm. and like, we need to be ready to embrace people. Like yeah. I thought about this when the Roe v. Wade 
decision was overturned. I guess that was sometime last year, right? The the Supreme Court uh, decision to like overturn that um, and to you know make a lot of uh, abortion illegal and and all this kind of stuff. And it was like, um, like 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 that was uh, a big victory for you know people that had been advocating for that for such a long time. But I was also looking at it from the other side, and it's like, okay, well. I I I re, I rejoice in this decision, but at the same time, like I feel like the the people of God need to be prepared to embrace people that may not be uh, you know ready to deal with the the backlash of that. In other yeah. words, like like where is the church going to be when our foster care system, which is already exploding with over five hundred thousand kids in it, that are like, uh, I mean. Yeah, 500,000 over 500,000 kids in our foster care system um that are not placed in other words that are that are in uh you know foster homes and and uh you know being moved from foster home to foster home that kind of thing. It's like how like what is the the church response when that number doubles <laughs> because uh in because people are not able to you know have abortions. Mm-hmm. Um anywhere. so so again it's like it's like a a great thing. Yeah. In, from my perspective, like a great thing that happened, but it's like, are we the the church wherever people are in society, like whatever society is doing, if it's making good strides, if it's making bad strides, if people are going further off the deep end, or if they're waking up to the reality that they've been lied to and they're feeling broken and vulnerable and, you know, whatever else, like, are we going to be there as the church, as the people of God to put our arms around people and put our arms around society and embrace people to like show them that like this was never your solution in the first place mm-hmm. and there's a there's a better way. Yeah, so, it, it's it all boils down to are we going to put our money where our mouth is? I mean, it's yeah. it's that parable, right, of the of the man who saw the the poor and the unclothed children. And he goes, oh, go and mm-hmm. and be clothed and be well fed, and then he walks away. It's like, okay, you know, <laughs> prayers are great. What where is your faith without you know? Where's your faith with deeds? Uh, you know, uh, to pull to pull in from what is it, James, um, and uh, and that's what that's what's so important for churches to do is we can't just be playing lip service. And praising changes within legislature that affirm human dignity without also backing it up and offering people a solution. Because when you think of folks yeah. who have been locked into bondage to false worldviews and ideologies, which, you know, Roe v. Wade, um, LGBTQ, that's all it is. It's a, they're each their own unique worldview that are a counterfeit gospel that offer a counterfeit salvation that ultimately never delivers delivers on what they promise. And it's always to the degradation of the human people who are involved, which is why there's the sacrifice of the children uh, within abortion. That's why there's the mutilation of men, women, and children within LGBTQ affirming care. Uh, it is always to the degradation of the humanity of those involved. So as a church, we not only need to be lovingly but directly addressing the worldview at play but then also being the hands and feet of christ in the process Mm -hmm. and i've heard of so many wonderful churches who are they have a foster and adoption program to where they actually help offset the costs of the adoption process or the foster process they do the uh the home screenings they do the training they offer support groups uh for the unplanned pregnancies 
so many churches have centers now that offer um, free basic medical care to mothers, ultrasounds. Wow. Um, they also offer uh, free baby gear to where it's, people will donate mm. their gently used baby items, which, you know, babies grow so fast anyways. You get an outfit on them for 20 minutes and they've already outgrown it. And they have all of these uh, clothes and uh, formula at just waiting for people to go and take advantage of them. But so often the the pro-choice movement in that regard will say, oh no, you can't go to these centers. They're they're horrible. They're degrading. They're vilifying. And they're like, no, look, look at our storehouses that I've seen images. They're overflowing with baby items. They're just looking for someone to help. Wow. And so it's wonderful to see churches step up and do that. Uh, the church I attend, um, they not only do all of what I just described, but they also, when we were talking about um, biblical sexuality and marriage, they said, look, we're, we're not just preaching. This is God's design for marriage. We're going to help you accomplish that to where if you've been living with your boyfriend or girlfriend, um, we would love to help you get married. If you realize I'm living in sin, we need to get married and we'll, we'll help, uh, with, you know, the cake, the, the come get married at our church. We're not even going to charge you anything. We'll help out with costs. You know, they made it easier. Or if you and your, your boyfriend or girlfriend been living together and you realize, you know what, I don't think we're going to end up getting married. What they would do is you would go to the church and they would help you move into your own apartment so that you can get back on the right track with God. They would even cover the first month's rent. I mean, so we are seeing churches step up and, and our church isn't the only one that's done it. There's multiple churches that I've heard of doing uh, all of these things and more for their congregations. However, that's not going to make the nightly news because that actually shows that the church, that the Christian community actually does care about not just the baby in the womb, but the baby lifelong and the family and securing the family and having it being able to model that biblical model. And that that's not going to make headlines. So you're not going to hear that. You actually have to do the legwork and reach out to these churches and say, Hey, what programs do you have? Um, I'm an unwed mother or unplanned pregnancy, or we would like to get married, but we can't afford it. I think you would be shocked at how many churches that would be like, come on over. We got a pastor. We can get you, we can get you married. We'll, you know, somebody's got a cupcake somewhere. We'll make it happen, you know? So, um, there, there's so many churches now who are not just doing the whole, oh, we'll pray for you type of thing. They're saying, no, we'll pray for you, but we're also going to help you get there because we are the hands and feet of Christ. And that's what we're called to do. So we just got to, if you are in that situation and you happen to be listening to this podcast, start reaching out to churches. And if you come across one and they don't have anything, find another, go to another, just keep looking because there are churches out there who you would be shocked are so willing to love you like Christ, to not vilify you in whatever you perceive your sin to be or whatever lifestyle you're living. They're not going to vilify you, but they're not going to compromise truth either. They're truly going to love you like Jesus. And that is what we need. Come on. I'm going to say, I'm going to take your, your word. Hoorah. Hoorah. <laughs> Appreciate it, Amy, so much. It's always a pleasure. And uh, you're just so, you're so knowledgeable on this stuff. And, uh, and I always learn from you. So I appreciate you so much for your time oh, and I just like for in. your friendship and for being awesome. It's very, very cool. Well, you know, <laughs> it's, it's great to hang out and I really appreciate just being able to have a, um, good conversation. That's one thing we're lacking in culture is the ability to have a conversation and wrestle with tough topics in a direct but lighthearted way. And, uh, you know, that that's what we are desperately needing is just good conversations. And I appreciate being able yeah. to have that with you, yeah. Duke. 
Yeah, that's so good. Yeah, I appreciate all you're doing. Um, I want to shout out to uh, your uh, the your podcast that you co-host, Mama Vera. Apolo- is it is it just called Mama Vera Apologetics Podcast or? Yep, Mama Vera Apologetics. You look us up. Uh, we've got our podcast. We've got uh, some new ones here that the podcast are coming is awesome. Out. And yeah. you are a you. I was you're a you're a great podcast host. I, I oh, thanks. It. Yeah, it's yeah, it's definitely really. something I didn't expect to be doing, but I I do enjoy it, and uh, it's great to ha- to have these conversations. And you know, so much of what we do are questions that we've been asked by listeners. So it's one of those if you if you're listening and you've got something that your family's wrestling with or uh, something that you've heard, you know, if you give us a shout out either on Facebook, social media, or through our website, uh, more than likely we'll do a podcast or a blog on it. Yeah, it's so good. Uh, and uh, the uh, Mom Bear Apologetics Guide to Sexuality, uh, the book that you co-authored, is uh, available on Amazon and probably everywhere these everywhere days. Everywhere major books right? are sold. Yeah. Yeah. Come on. Get that. That goes back to, I mean, what we were talking about at the beginning um, of the, well, really the whole time, but, but you know, specifically at the beginning talking about kids and raising our kids and the admonition of the Lord and like helping to prepare them with um, understanding their identity, their worldview, having strong beliefs to be able to confront like the issues that they're facing in society and like really discipling our kids um, these days. It's so important. That book is uh, is really phenomenal and it will, will help help uh, any parents um, or anybody who's raising kids, grandparents even like it'll, it'll help you guys out a lot. So so check that out. Mama Bear um, got uh, mama. Wait. <laughs> Mama, Bear Mama Apologetics Bear. Guide to Sexuality. Yes. Did I say that right? Yep. You got it. Nailed it. <laughs> All, right. All right. I nailed it. All right. Uh, well, thank you guys so much for joining us. Appreciate all of you as well. Love to hear your thoughts and comments. Comments on uh, one of the uh, on the Facebook page, YouTube channel, wherever it is that you watch this or uh, leave a review or a comment. Can you leave a comment? I think you can really re- leave comments on the on the podcast channels. But if they let you leave a comment there, if not, um, then uh, reach out on social media or something else. If you have any uh, questions or thoughts to add on anything that we talked about today. Love you and appreciate you guys. And uh, thank you again, Amy. Hey, Ron. We'll see you later.